0: long. Let's open with a word of prayer. and Let's dig into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. As we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We ask, Lord, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. And what, Lord, we do continue to thank you for Hillcrest Christian School. What a blessing this place is to us. We want to be a blessing to them. We pray that you continue to have kids on this campus getting saved, come to know you, be born again. We pray for the families that are represented here. We pray for the teachers. And Lord, be glorified in this place. It's an extension. We're in the same ministry. And Lord, we just pray this morning again that you would be glorified through your word. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So we've been looking at 1 John, if you'll recall that John, this is toward the end of his life, more than likely, most, if not all, the other apostles have been martyred by this point. Being a Christian in those days was dangerous, because when you gave your life to the Lord, often, when you made a public proclamation, you could either be imprisoned, or you could be fed to lions. So being a Christian was not something that was simple, especially for those in leadership. Then there were the Gnostics who came along and started teaching another gospel. So not only did they have persecution from the outside, they had false teaching from the inside. And just because somebody calls themselves a church does not mean they're proclaiming the truth. Amen? We check everything against what? The Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by? Amen. So the Word of God is what transforms our life. This is the foundation. 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages. Over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions, that's only possible because? Because God wrote the book. So John is writing this letter to exhort and encourage them to correct the false teaching of the Gnostics, but also to exhort and encourage them to stand for the Lord even in the face of persecution. And last week, we're gonna look at the same theme kind of from last week this week. If you were not here last week, you can go online and watch the message. But I tell the message last week, True Love, what God's definition of love really is. And we saw three of the words that are used in Greek that describe love. One was eros, where we get the word erotic. It is a self-centered lust. It's not love. It's a what can you do for me, and it's self-centered. Then you have phileo or Philadelphia. It's also a love that is based on the performance of somebody else, but it's where we get the word brotherly love. But what we talked about, and we will talk about some more this morning, is agape love. And agape love is a selfless love, that loves someone outside of itself more than itself. It doesn't determine whether that person is worth it. And while Eros takes, agape gives. Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So if you have your outline this morning, grab it. And I titled the message, The Fruit of Abiding Love. The Fruit of Abiding Love. And we're going to have three points we're going to look at this morning. And this is all going to be talking about kind of fruit of agape love. If you're living in a love, and again, we'll talk about this, but agape love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a love that someone who is not born again cannot have. It says in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is agape. So it is a love, a selfless love. It can only come from the one who selflessly laid down his life for us. So first of all, what is the fruit of abiding love? The first thing it does, is it allows the lost world to see God in us. Now, let's make it really clear. There's two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not him. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. So there is a God and we're not God and we will never be God. Contrary to what the Mormon church might teach, we will never be God, but the spirit of the living God dwells in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So we should live in such a way that people can see the Lord in us. Now we all fail at that. I, I do. How about you? But should not be our heart that we live in such a way that people see Jesus in us and they want to know the Savior that we serve. We'll see that God the Father is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. Have you ever tried to fully comprehend the Trinity? Your your head explodes, amen? But the reality is, no, no matter how great you think our God is, He is far greater than that. And when we get to heaven, we are going to be blown away by the greatness of our God. And it's going to make us feel foolish about the prayers that we prayed faithlessly to the Lord because we think it's too hard for Him. Our God is greater than any difficulty, any financial problem, any health problem, any marital problems, any way. Can God restore all of that? What's the answer? He can. And we need to seek Him with confidence coming before Him. We're going to see that he's beyond our ability to comprehend. Just catching the backside of his glory. I love this picture. You know, because we're going to see that the text is going to say no man has seen God at any time. And that makes people confused because we saw Jesus and Jesus is God. But we'll clear that up before you leave. But what's interesting about that is we know that Moses was up on Mount Sinai and He wanted to observe his glory. So God put him in the cleft of a rock and covered him with his hand. And as he went by, he saw the the backside glory of Almighty God. And when he came down from the mountain, what was he doing? He was glowing in the dark. See, guys, if we're hanging out with Jesus, we're going to shine brightly to a lost and a dark and a dying world. Amen. And then we're also going to see we love one another. God abides in us. The Bible says they shall know us by the love we have one for another. I'm going to share a couple things. First of all, I know most of you know, Jack went to be with the Lord 10 days before his 100th birthday. If you didn't know Jack, he would sit right in the front row, get it for, he was in his 90s, he was still driving. And he got to love Jack because he was just cantankerous as all get out. But I just love him. World War II vet, LAPD in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And we just love Jack and we're so glad that he's in heaven. Amen. Amen. But Val's also here. Where is she? There she is. Val, we love you. Her husband Tom went to be with the Lord this week. And it was unexpected. But heaven is better. Amen? And we love you. And we're going to weep with you and rejoice with you. Amen? So let's be supportive of her. Amen? And the same thing with Tom. Every time I saw him, he always had a smile on his face. He was always very encouraging to me about just teaching the word of God. And you know what? For us as believers, Christians don't die. We just move to a much better neighborhood. Amen? Yes. We close our eyes on earth and we open them up in glory. And that's the body of Christ. The love of Christ should abide in us that people see that we love each other so much that it lets people know that our God is real. Amen? Yes. And that's the, thir- the last thing we'll look at in point number one. Point number two. It produces evidence of our transformed lives. And we'll see three things that are evidence of genuine Christianity. What should a Christian look like? And what are evidences that we know the Lord? Number one, the Holy Spirit's presence. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. It says in Ephesians chapter one, it has our riches in Christ, blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, assured. Well, the word assured there is literally talks about the Holy Spirit as our down payment on heaven. When when you gave your life to the Lord, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. You're a new creation in Christ. second evidence of a transformed life is boldness to confess that Jesus is Lord. And I want to encourage all of us, all of us, that guys, just because, don't think that sharing uh, Jesus with others is left to the pastors. It's for all Christians. Amen? That was really last week, okay? (laughs) Amen? Amen. Okay, we're all called to share our faith. We have a world around us that has a cancer of sin. They're dying and going to hell without Jesus. We have the answer, and the most selfish thing we can do is keep it to ourselves. We should never be self-righteous. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? And then finally, abiding in love. Again, that love that radiates from us is something that is part of the fact that we have a transformed life. We're new creations in Him. And then final point, it removes our fear and replaces it with boldness. It radically changed how we look at coming judgment. We serve a loving, gracious, merciful, and just God. And we can stand boldly before Him on the day of judgment. It's finished. It's been paid in full. We're new creations in Christ. We're born again. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Guys, we have nothing to fear fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And the Bible will see in, the, in this morning's text, perfect love casts out all fear. Amen? Amen? So I've told you what I'm going to tell you, now I'll tell you. Amen? So beginning there in verse 12 of 1 John chapter 4, picking up where we left off last week. And it says there in verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. Have you ever had a Muslim witness to you and take you to this verse? I have and let's say see no one has seen god at any time and a lot of people saw jesus so jesus is not god and so here's the problem you know this when you take a text out of context all you left a con amen and we need to when we have any kind of a doctrine we base it on the whole counsel of god not just one verse taken out of context that's why we keep reading now the reference here is to god the father amen and no one has seen God the Father. Now, I will have people, especially as a pastor, no doubt you've heard this too, people will come to you and say, oh, God whisked me away up into heaven, and I had an hour-long conversation with God the Father, and now I'm back to tell you what he wants you to know, and I tell them that's a bunch of nonsense. Amen? Because no man has seen God the Father at any time. Now, Jesus would later say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the Father is like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know the heart and the passion and the, the, the sacrifices, the unconditional love of the Father, you look at the Son. So while, while some do claim to have seen the Father at best, it's their own imagination. At worst, they're lying. And again, the false teachers often have claimed that they have visions that God has spoken to them. Again, we have the complete revelation of God's word. God continues to speak to us through his word. He continues to convict us by the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't add to the word or change the word. Amen. Again, I'm very transparent with you guys. The Mormon church, an angel appeared, uh, an angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith, and he comes out with this new book to fix the Bible. We know that's false. Amen? Amen? And it contradicts the word of God. So no one has seen God at any time. It says this in 1 Timothy 1 17. Now, to the King, eternal, immortal, and invisible, speaking of God the Father. When we get to heaven, will we be able to see God the Father? I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll know he's there, but will we see him like we see each other? I don't... I, guys, the Bible says he's immortal, he's invisible, right? We'll, we'll be around his throne and his image will certainly be there in some way. But we, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how that works. Understand this. He was outside of time and space. So he existed when there's no time and there's no space. When there's no space, where are you? <laughs> Right? <laughs> right? So, so he's outside of time and he's outside of space. The Bible says he holds the universe in the span of his hand. So again, of course we will know his presence, but will we just, will he just look like, I don't, I don't think so in a sense. Amen. But it doesn't matter. He's going to be there. We're going to be in his presence. We're going to know that he's there. We're going to see Jesus with his scarred hands. Right? Amen nail prints in his hands. It says in John 24, Jesus declared of the Father, God is spirit, meaning that God the Father has, has no tangible body with which he may be seen. And certainly that's true for us now. Maybe that will change when we get to heaven, but we know when we get to heaven, we will be in his presence and we will know that we are in his presence. Amen? Amen. Knowing that God the Father is invisible should make us even more humble in our relationship with Him. God the Father is beyond our ability to comprehend. And you might be thinking again, but aren't there descriptions of God in Scripture? Even references that speak of men seeing God. Well, let me give you one. I'm going to read this to you out of Exodus 24, verses 9 to 18. It says, Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 the elders, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like uh, the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me and the mountain, and be here, and I will give you tablets of stone, and the law, and the commandments, which I have written to you, that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistants. Joshua and Moses went up on the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back. And indeed, Aaron and her are with you. And if If any man has difficulty, let them go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain and was covered in the cloud of the mountain. And it says, and now the glory of God rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And here's what I would say most of the time, maybe all the time in the Old Testament, when someone says they have seen God, and we know that it even says this of the angel of the Lord. Whenever you see the angel of the Lord, it is always pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Amen? So the glimpses that they have when they have seen God, we we saw it a few weeks ago in Chronicles. We saw it with, with, you see it with Samson. You know, Samson, the Lord appears to them and tells him, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the next judge over Israel, and he has to have the Nazarite bow. And when he ascended into heaven, they say they saw God ascending into heaven. There's not a doubt in my mind when, again, the angel, it's Jesus Christ. Amen? See, Jesus is not created, he's creator. He always has been and he always will be, amen? amen. So again, I think there's some areas where we should not be too dogmatic, but I, I truly believe that every time in the Old Testament. So they saw the God of Israel and no description is given except for what was under his feet. In Acts 7, Stephen, before the Jewish council, refers to the one who appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai as the angel of the Lord, and that word means messenger. So I believe clearly that it was Jesus Christ. So which is it? Stephen refers to him as the angel of the Lord, and in other places he's referred to as God. Which is it? The answer is both. Amen? Jesus Christ is God. He is the messenger of Almighty God to man. And so when we see this, it's clearly of him. And again, Moses only saw the afterglow. And when he came down from the mountain, he, covered, he veiled his face because he was glowing in the dark for the Lord. And some think that he veiled his face because he didn't want people to see him glowing. I think he veiled his face because he wanted people to see him diminishing. Amen? Because that glow was going to go away as he had time away from the Lord. And the same happens in our walk with God. Amen? When we're walking with the Lord, we, people can see the Lord in us. Amen? And then when we break fellowship, and we're not spending time in His Word, and we're not spending time in prayer, our walk with the Lord can, in a a way, diminish. Amen? You're as close to God as you want to be, and if you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen? We'll be able to see the Father in heaven. Will we be? Again, where our glorified bodies give us the ability to see him and live. Because the Bible says if we saw Almighty God, God the Father, right now we would drop dead from being in his presence because of his holiness. So while he is God and he can manifest himself any way he wants to, and I know we will have intimate fellowship with him in heaven, not sure how we will see him, but praise God just knowing that we will. Amen? I'm glad that I serve a God that is so great that I can't fully grasp everything about him because if I could fully grasp everything about him, he wouldn't be that great because I'm not that smart. (laughs) Amen. He is so far greater than anything we can comprehend. Our God is all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful. He's an amazing God. In John chapter 3, in describing God, uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, and he described the Holy Spirit like the wind. You guys remember that? He said, the wind blows to and fro, do you see the wind? Can you see the wind? But no, you see the evidence of the wind, amen? And while we can't see the Holy Spirit, we can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in somebody's life, amen? So no man has seen God at any time, again, God the Father. We don't see the Holy Spirit, but we see the fruit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the one that was made manifest, again, in appearing to men. So it says there, no one has seen God at any time. And again, so we have not seen God the Father, but we've seen the evidence of Almighty God in people's lives. And what are some of those evidences? Look what it says. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. This is the greatest evidence of God's presence and work among us. It's agape love flowing from us on those around us. You know, we are a family, amen? You've heard me say it many times. Blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. When you have Jesus in common, you have everything in common. And you know God gives us a supernatural love for each other—a love that gives, a love that cares. When we have pe- people in our body who are hurting, we weep with them. Amen. We want to come alongside them. Everything we have, we, want to, we will give it away to bless somebody else. Agape love can only come from God. He is the only source. So you cannot have agape love if you don't have the God of agape. Amen? You can't have it. And this is why being unequally yoked with unbelievers is a disaster because they can only have phileo or eros. They can't have agape. So you're loving them selflessly and they only eros you selfishly. And when you don't give them what they want, they will leave. And that's why the divorce rate is so high. Guys, when we have Jesus in common, we're going to love that person more than they love us. And they're going to love us back more than than, than we love ourselves. Amen? And that's that agape love where each of us is serving and giving and laying down our lives for one another. That's what agape love looks like. It says in John 15, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. So what he's saying is when you give your life to the Lord, you get grafted in. He's the vine. We're the branches. If you take a branch out of a vine, it becomes a dead stick. Amen? and it doesn't produce any fruit. You take that branch, you graft it into the vine, the vine feeds it, and now it bears much fruit. Our lives will be fruitless if we're not grafted into Jesus, amen? If we're not holding on to him, if we're not walking with him, if we're not hanging on to him with both hands, if we're not spending time in his presence, if we don't know him, not just know about him, but know him in an intimate way, we will live lives that are fruitless. See, the world can't see the Father, but they can see him through the Son, and they can see them in our behavior, our agape love for one another. Again, agape love in us and through us is evidence of the presence of God. Some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is power. Well, some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is popularity. Some people think the greatest evidence of God's presence or work is passionate feelings. By the way, nothing. we have feelings, they're real. And uh, we feel them, but sometimes they lie to us. Amen? We don't need power because we we have the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that is evidence in that way. But, guys, people are pursuing all the wrong things. You know what? We need more Word of God crusades and less, you know, miracle crusades. Does God do miracles? What's the answer? Absolutely. Can God heal? What's the answer? He's still doing it. Of course, He is. Now, that being said, the way that we grow the most is not just by signs and wonders. Remember, the, the Lord even said, a wicked and perverse generation seeks after a sign. They're always looking for a sign. Well, I'll believe in God if this happens. I'll believe in God if this happens. Well, guess what? I believe in God because it already happened. Can I get an amen? He created the heavens and the earth. Jesus came to earth. He suffered and died and lived a sinless life. He went to the cross of Calvary. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father. He's put the Holy Spirit inside of me. I don't need anything else. I have his completed revelation, the word of God. Guys, we have plenty. We don't need to test God. We need to trust God. Amen? Amen? And that's the exhortation. Sometimes Jesus seemed weak and lacking in power, but he was always full of love. Sometimes Jesus wasn't popular at all but he was always full of love. Jesus sometimes didn't inspire passionate feelings in people at all, but he was always full of love. Love was the constant greatest evidence of the presence and work of God in our Savior and in us. It said, at the end of that verse, it says, and his love has been perfected in us. The word perfected there in the Greek means mature or made complete. So the love of God is what matures us. So love of God is complete in us when God does that transforming work. Again, the true measure of spiritual power is not power or popularity or passionate feelings, but the abiding presence of God's love in our lives given out to others. One of the things I, we hear all the time, and I'm thankful for it, both the church I pastored in Santa Cruz and here, I'm thankful for it, is people will visit and they'll say, man, you guys love each other. And that's evidence of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The Bible says they shall know us by the love we have, one for another. Agape love is evidence that God abides in us. So point number one, the fruit of abiding love, it allows a lost world to see God in us. Point number two, it produces evidence of a transformed life. Look at verse 13. It says there, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his Spirit. Now, the word abide there means to continue, to dwell, to remain, to stand, to tarry, to endure, to be present. Does that describe your walk with the Lord? Do you continue with Him? Are you abiding in Him? Are you dwelling with Him? Are you remaining in Him? Are you standing with Him? Do you tarry to spend time with Him? Do you endure in the midst of trials with Him? Are you present with Him? Do you know about Jesus or is He your best friend? Do you spend intimate time with the Lord all day, every day? or every other week on a Sunday when you might show up for church. Our abiding is not a one-sided affair with us struggling to abide in Him. Jesus isn't hiding. He's not trying to escape us. And just as true as it is that we should abide in Him, it is true that He does abide in us. Isn't it amazing that the Lord put His Spirit inside of us? I, guys, we should never take that for granted. We, there's three terms for the Holy Spirit's relationship with the world. You've heard this before, bears repeating. Holy Spirit's either with you, in you, or upon you. He's with the world, they call him their conscience. The only reason the world knows right from wrong at all is because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, they're not saved, but the Holy Spirit is with them, amen? Men are not inherently good, they're inherently evil, amen? God is good, God is great, Amen? Men are inherently evil. Trust your gut. Worst advice I've ever heard in my life. Amen? Well, my gut, I have a gut feeling. Uh, You need a a God feeling. Can I get an amen to that? You need the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So the Holy Spirit's with you, but here's what's amazing. He's with the world. That's how they know right from wrong. I did prison ministry for years. I talked to guys on death row. One guy killed seven people, and I would say to him, uh, do you know, deserve something that you believe is wrong? He's like, yeah. I go, like what? He goes, like harming children. That's wrong. I said, but you killed seven people. Well, they weren't children, right? But the point is, he knows there's some level of right from wrong. Where does that come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit goes from being with you to in you. It says in Luke that the Lord breathed the Spirit into the apostles. So the Spirit went from being with them to being in them. So when you're born again, the down payment on heaven is the person of the Holy Spirit. But we also see in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, he says, and it happens in chapter 2, he says, go and wait, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So there's with you, in you, and upon you. When the Holy Spirit is upon you, some call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. As my dad used to say, call it what you want, just get it. Amen? And so being filled with the Spirit means there needs to be less of us and more of Him, as John the Baptist said, You know, Jesus said he's a man born among women. He was the greatest man who ever lived. And he said, I must decrease that he might increase. So guys, we need to abide in him, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Less of us, more of him. It's not about me. Who cares how many followers you have or how many likes you have? Get over it. Can I get an amen to that? It's about pointing people to Jesus, not to ourselves. It's for him to get all the praise and the glory and the honor. Jesus said in John 15, four, abide in me and I will abide in you. And John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So one of the ways Jesus abides in us and lives in us is through his word. You know, you can stand firmly and speak with boldness. If you open up this book and teach it, because this is the living, breathing word of God. Amen. Yes. So when you proclaim it, it's forth Prophecy can be foretelling or forth It's proclaiming the truth of God's word. We'll see in the next three verses, three evidences of genuine Christianity. Notice what it says there, because he has given us his spirit. Every true believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Two-fold ministry of the Holy Spirit in this context. First is the spirit of God, that is, he's abiding in the presence of Christ. The presence of his spirit is how he abides in us. And second, it is the testimony of the Holy Spirit within us that makes it possible for us to know that we abide in. In him. How many of you, when you sin, and I mean the most, well, all sin is sin. I'm not making any sin minor, but, but you know, a sin that people would even debate was sin. And when you do it, you are completely and totally convicted to your core. Raise your hand. Okay. That's good news. You're going to heaven because the Holy Spirit comforts us, but he also convicts us of our sin. Amen. If there's no conviction, there's been no conversion. If you can say, I walked an aisle and I prayed a prayer, but I never am convicted about the behavior, the sinful behavior in my life, it means that you don't know the Lord. Again, the three evidences. The first one is the presence of the Holy Spirit. So if you take the Holy Spirit with you to a strip club, you think he might say something. Right? Holy Spirit head slab. That's how conviction feels in my life. Amen? you get into an argument with somebody, if you're acting in an un-Christ-like manner, what does the Lord do? He brings conviction. Why? Because those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. Amen? Those who the Lord loves, He's going to draw you back into the presence of our Heavenly Father. Paul put it this way, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So if there's conviction, that's a good thing. As believers, we will never be sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? Point number two, boldness to confess Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father sent the Son as the Savior of the world. I, let me be real transparent. I love you all very much. And I, the thing that frustrates me most about people who call themselves Christians is when they water down who Jesus is in any way, shape, or form. Amen? That's what the cults do. They make Jesus less and man more. They elevate men. They elevate teachers, and they bring Jesus down. Guys, we're all sinners saved by grace, and he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. He's Again, he knows everything. He knows us best. He loves us most. To him and him alone be all the praise, the glory, and the honor. Amen? Amen. We praise and magnify his name. We don't curse his name. We don't use his name as a curse word. We don't belittle his name. We magnify. His name, because it's the name under which all men must be saved. Amen. Amen? So we magnify and lift up the name of Jesus, and that's evidence of somebody who's living a transformed life. The Spirit of God within us, abiding in us, pr- produces not only a heart filled with love, but a boldness to openly talk about who Jesus is. It says in Romans ten nine, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be... So confession of who Christ is is what saves us. Note again the necessity for both love and truth. The Holy Spirit produces both sacrificial love and makes you a bold witness. It says, "We have seen there. We have seen and testified." John the Apostles, but also applies to us in a sense, they've seen, they perceive, they behold, they've looked closely at. They've examined who Jesus is. They walked with him for three years. Can you imagine walking with Jesus for three years? Can you imagine hearing every message He ever taught? Can you imagine watching him heal the lame and the blind and, uh, you know, turn two, you know, a boy's lunch into feeding 5,000, you know, him walking on water, all those things that Jesus did. And what's amazing is when Jesus went to the cross, all but John abandoned him. And so they had him for three years, and, and again, I think three minutes walking with Jesus would be amazing. The guys on the road to Emmaus got him for a few hours, and they just wanted to hang on to him. But guys, you know what? I will say this. Please don't take this wrong. I believe we're the most blessed of all people because you know why they abandoned him? Because they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Do you know why there was no power in their lives? you know why Peter was lopping off ears and couldn't catch any fish? What kind of fisherman is he? Only except when Jesus is with him, amen? But the point I'm making is that the reason that these the, ape, they're the apostles. She'd be like the d to me or something. <laughs> but the apostles are all abandoning him. And then what happens? Peter, who denies the Lord, curses and says he doesn't know him, runs away and hides. Holy Spirit comes upon him. He gets up in front of those same people and 3,000 people get saved in a single day. What happened? The Holy Spirit happened. Amen? If you're living a life that's lacking in power, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? But he can apply it to us. And again, John did that physically, but all who truly believe have come to behold and perceive that Jesus is the savior of the world. The word testify is where we get the word martyr. What he's saying is we have testified that Jesus is the savior of the world. We've told other people we're not ashamed of it. We don't keep it to ourselves. Does that mean that if we do it, we won't catch any static? What's the answer? It's just the opposite. The promise is, when you make a stand for the Lord, you will deal with the consequences, unfortunately. People will attack you. People will go after you. But blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake. For so the prophets did who went before you. My watch just died, and I will be teaching till 4 o'clock this afternoon. I just looked down, I'm like, oh, I'm going to teach for six minutes. That's pretty cool. I'm going to turn my phone on so nobody in here dies, okay? (laughs) But the word means martyr. So again, it means to be a witness. And a genuine, spirit-filled believer has come to know by experience and boldly proclaim the truth to others, that Jesus was sent by the Father to be the Savior of the world. Again, the word Savior in Greek is deliverer. So here we were, all of us were headed to hell without Christ. By the way, people love to talk about heaven, and they don't like to talk about hell. And when you talk about heaven, they all think they're going there and we would hope that they all will be. Amen? When you talk about hell, people don't even think it exists or they deny it altogether. But did you know that Jesus talks more about hell than he does heaven? And why does he? He doesn't want anyone to go there. Amen? Okay? So when we... He's the savior. He's the one that redeemed us. If you were being hung by a crane over a fire... you were getting lower and lower into the fire and somebody came along and jumped in the crane and pulled it up and turned it around and saved you. Would you be a little appreciative? What's the answer? (laughs) So you know what? We were headed to an eternal hell fire and Jesus came and redeemed us, saved us. He is the deliverer. And we should be willing to shout it from a mountaintop that we love Jesus Christ. Amen. Where it says world there, it's all its inhabitants. They've, They've delivered the word of God to all of the world. Some people don't understand why we're on so many radio stations. Let me tell you why. I believe it's fulfilling the Great Commission. Amen? And that's my heart. I've always had a heart for radio, and, and I get the phone calls that come from it, and people are giving their lives to the Lord because people in this church are faithfully giving so we can be on the radio, so we can reach people. Amen? Amen. But we're also called to reach them. You're the only Jesus maybe in your office. You're the representation in your neighborhood. Everywhere you go, God has called you to be salt and light. So point number two, there is boldness to confess Jesus is Lord. That's one of the evidences of our transformed life. And then third, abiding in love. Look at verse 16. And we have known and believed the love of God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Now, here's something that people struggle with. My prayer for you always is to remember this. There are times when you blow it and you feel like your God maybe has stopped loving you. And there are people that really struggle. Maybe they're struggling with anxiety or depression and they question whether or not God really loves them. They make a horrible choice or, you know, they choose to live in a sinful behavior for a while and they'll question whether God really loves them. I want you to understand there's nothing you can do to make God love you more and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Amen? Amen. And this is why he gives us children. Because when you have children and grandchildren one of the things that one of the many things that you learn is that you love your your love for your kids is unconditional i don't love my kids less when they're blowing it and love them more when they're doing great i may be proud of something they accomplish but i love them the same no matter what and i almost love them more when they're struggling cuz they need to be prayed for more amen See, that's and that's an imperfect dad. How much better from our perfect heavenly Father. So when he looks at you, he looks at you as somebody he died for. And when you don't think you're valuable to God, I want you to remember what we're going to observe here in a few minutes, about 20 minutes, the cross of Calvary. He knew you best and he loved you most and he was willing to suffer and die knowing everything about you. And he would have gone there if it was only for you. Amen. So he was willing to suffer and die in our place. He's a loving God, he's a gracious God. He's a merciful God, and whoever abides in him, if we know and believe in the love of God has for us, God is love. Now, God is love, but love is not God. Yeah. Amen? Amen? People will say, well, as long as you love, you're fine. As long as you have real love, it doesn't matter what you love, you know, just love. And, and you know, I catch not sometimes, because I'm kind of direct sometimes, I know that's a shock for most of you, but... But I will say something, and people come up and say, "I can't come to your church anymore because you just need to only talk about love. Don't ever talk about righteous judgment. Don't talk about the hand of God. Don't talk about that. Just talk about love. I'm not going to teach that, that gospel because it doesn't exist. Is he a God of love? What's the answer? Yes, but love is not God because we can love things that are ungodly. Amen. So not just because you love somebody or you love something or oh, love wins. What a bunch of nonsense that is. The the reality is that God went, and God is love. He's a loving God, a gracious God, a merciful God. Notice it says there at the end of that verse, it says we know that he abides in us. I love that he abides in us. He dwells in us. He's such a faithful God. And again, we have known and believed this is a Christian's proper response to who God is and how he loves us is to know and to believe we are called to take the love and grace God gives us to know it by experience and to believe it so the way that we grow in faith as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God but we also step out in faith we get out of our comfort zone and we, we obey God even when maybe it doesn't make sense to the world around us and then God shows up in a mighty and a powerful way and now we grow when you go through trials, the, God, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that he's a God of all comfort. Us, and He comforts us in our suffering that we may then comfort others with the comfort that we have received. So when we go through grief or we go through trials or we go through difficulty, the Lord shows up and comforts us. It's equipping us to comfort somebody else. Amen? So all that we go through in this life, no suffering is wasted. And we believed in the love of God and God is love and his love abides in us. And we we're called to take the love and grace God gives us and give it away to others. This is what fellowship with God is all about. And again, people respond to the love of God differently. Some respond with a sense of, well, I'm so great, God loves me. You know, you know, God loves me. I'm amazing. I'm one of His chosen, so. You're probably not, so. There's a whole doctrine that believes that. That we're, you know, we're the chosen. And a lot of the chosen are the frozen chosen, because they don't do anything for the kingdom of God, Amen there's a lot of people that take on a superiority because of the love of God. Some doubt it. Can God really love me? Some respond with wickedness. Well, God loves me so I can do whatever I want. That was the Gnostics. They taught if you give your life to Jesus, you can go live like the devil and still go to heaven because your spirit can be saved, but your flesh will always be wicked. But the Bible says by your fruit, they shall know you. Amen. God wants us to respond to his love by getting to know him better, by spending time in his presence, by becoming more and more like him. Again, justified, just as if you never sinned, being sanctified till the day we're glorified. We're becoming more like Jesus and should be every single day. To feel God's love is so, is, is very precious, but to believe it when you don't feel it is noble. That was Charles Spurgeon said let me say it again to feel god's love is very precious but to believe it when you do not feel it is noble see the enemy will make you feel like god doesn't love you do your feelings lie to you in that case what's the answer and so i want you to be reminded if you leave here with nothing today that you always be mindful of how much the lord loves you he will never leave you nor forsake you amen that you are his treasured possession you're that pearl of great price where he sold everything so he could have you that's our god and he didn't do it because you're good he did it because he's good amen The Christian who has this kind of relationship with God will be immersed in God's love. It becomes their environment, their place of abiding. Don't you want to be immersed in God's love? He's such a gracious God, a loving God, and a merciful God, and we're so blessed to be adopted into his family. Verse 17, point number three. Point number three. So it produces evidence of a transformed life, Holy Spirit's presence in your life, boldness to confess Jesus is Lord, we abide in His love, and then the last point: it removes fear and replaces it with boldness. Look at verse seventeen. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may be, have boldness in the day of judgment. Again, the word "perfected" there is made complete. So it has among us. His love has been uh, love has been perfected, made complete among us, in that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. We do not need to fear judgment day because when Jesus died on the cross, the last thing he said is to tell which means it is finished. It also means paid in full. When someone had a debt and they paid it off, they would stamp it to paid in full. And so we had a debt. And Jesus paid it in full. It is finished. It's not Jesus plus five other things. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. We've been born again. We don't need to fear the righteous judgment of God. There are two judgments that we, that we see in scripture. There's the great white throne judgment. And then there's the Bema seat judgment. The great white throne judgment is when people who have rejected God will stand before him. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Muhammad is bowing to Jesus. Hitler is bowing to Jesus. Everybody who thought they were God will bow to Jesus. There, there's a one deniable fact, there is a God and you're not him. Amen? And here's the reality. So what will happen is they will be at that ju- place and they will be judged for their sin. And they will see, I don't know how exactly how God's going to do it, but he may, here's all the sin and here's all the opportunities you had to be saved that you rejected. And because you rejected God, God can't have one sin in heaven or he's got earth part two. Amen? It was once in the garden of Eden that brought this mess. God will have no sin in his presence. And so our sin is either paid for and washed away or we have to pay the debt ourselves. So praise God, we will not be at the great white throne judgment. There is another judgment called the Bema seat judgment for believers. And what we will be judged for is just how faithful we've been with the gifts he's given us. So he will, like the parable of the talent, here's the gifts I've given you and you've been faithful in those gifts. The Bible says he will give us crowns. Which, so God loves us. He dies for us. He pays the price for us. While we were yet sinners, we we're wicked, vile people. He redeems us. Then He gives us gifts, and then we use the gifts only by the power of His Holy Spirit. And then He gives us gifts for using the gifts He gave us. <laughs> we don't deserve any of it. And most people believe that when He gives us the crowns, we'll just cast them all back at His feet. Amen. So we don't we're not gonna face the great white throne judgment. Let me just say that for those who are born again. If you're here and you're not born again, you will face it. But today can be the day of salvation, amen. And you don't have to leave here fearing the judgment of God. We may have boldness on the day of judgment. We'll be able to stand before him. God indeed is a God of self-sacrificial love, but he's also a God of righteous judgment. And these verses make it clear that God's love is not an excuse for us to live a sinful life, but he wants us to be able to have that intimate relationship with him. You know, because of the death on the cross, we were able to come into the holy place and we can talk to the Lord anywhere and any time. It wasn't just the great high priest once a year on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. Now we can come into his presence anywhere and anytime. And praise God for that. The bell's been torn, amen? amen. And the same thing is true about our standing before him on judgment day. We can come before him with boldness. And again, the world today, no one need fear judgment. After all, God is love. But again, here's what I hear from people. Well, I don't believe there's a God, but if there is a God, he's supposed to be a loving God, so I'll be just fine. And I'll say, well, he is a loving God. loves you so much he died on the cross, but he can't have your sinful... You know, he, so here's salvation. Let me make it clear. It's offered universally. It's accepted individually. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. You're part of that none. Okay, amen? He doesn't want anybody to die without him. Right? For God so loved the what? Worlds. So that's everybody. So he offers salvation universally in his nail-pierced you know, hands. So it's offered universally, but it must be accepted individually. See so God loves you enough, he'd rather die than live without you, he offers you salvation, and now he will not force it on you. He won't pin you down and make you take it, but he will offer it to you. My prayer for everyone here is that you will respond to his gracious act as he offers salvation to all of us through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. His holiness is seen in his judgment of sin, and again, just because he's a loving God doesn't mean he's not a righteous God, he is. You may know you're a sinner now, but you'll really know it on the day of judgment. Amen? If you don't know the Lord, you know you're a sinner now. On the day of judgment, you'll really know it. You may know that you're uh, not better in yourself than those who are going to hell, but you'll really know it on the day of judgment. Amen? You may know the reality of hell now, but you'll really know it on the day of judgment. When Thank God we don't have to go there. Amen? And you may know the greatness of Jesus our Savior now, but you're really going to know it on the day of judgment. Amen? I love that analogy. A famous man was going into a place and they kept throwing the guy out that was trying to reach him and the famous man said, let him in, he's with me. And I just thought of the one day we're going to stand before almighty God and and again, we won't face the great white throne judgment, but if we were standing before almighty God and we were deserving of hell and we're going to see all the reasons why we deserve it and then Jesus is going to come forward and say, it's okay. He's with me. Amen? Amen? He's with me. You know why we get to go to heaven? Because we're with Jesus. Not because we're good, but because he's great. Amen? And to him alone be all the glory and the praise and the honor. And we can have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is so we are in the world. We can boldly stand on the day of judgment because we abide in him and he abides in us. And we've been born again. We're new creations in him. He's written our names down. The truth that does not begin in eternity begins now. When do you have eternal life? You've already got it. Amen? We have eternal life right now. God does not create finite beings. We're all infinite. It's just a matter of where we're going to spend eternity. Amen? And that's my prayer for all of us. So we would not, you know, don't leave home without American Express and don't leave earth without Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> we stand today righteous, even as we live and walk among this sinful world because we're indwelt by the Spirit, and we're being conformed to the image of our Savior. The Bible says that one day all of humanity will gather at the great white throne and face His judgment. That day is coming, and again, we need not be afraid. Verse 18, there is now, it says that because He is, so we are in the world, there is now no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears... Has not been made perfect in love. There is no fear in love. The completeness of love means we do not cower in fear before God, and we don't need to cower in fear before anything. Amen? Amen. One of the things we saw with COVID is how many people are just scared to death. How many people are just afraid of everything? And again, I'm saying use wisdom, and and if you you know if you have a you know, pre-existing condition and you're concerned and you want to stay home and watch on live stream, God bless you. But we should not be afraid of anything this world can dish out because our God is greater. Amen? Amen. And we don't need to be afraid. You can't threaten us with heaven. Amen. To truly grasp the depths of his love and the truth of his grace, having been redeemed by his shed blood at Calvary, we know that all the judgment we ever deserved, past, present and future, was poured out on Jesus on the cross of Calvary, and now we can walk in the fullness of joy, knowing that we will never face judgment. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The price has been paid. He says that fear involves torment. The fear John writes about here is not uh, appropriate reference we should all have toward God. We don't need to, be, we don't need to fear God that he's going to torment us. He won't. Amen? We don't have to fear the torment of hell. Why? Because we know we're not going there by the grace of God. Because we've been forgiven. Fear comes from those who are, who are scared of judgment and scared of torment. And the reality is they should be if they don't know the Lord. They should have fear. But when you give your life to the Lord, he casts out all fear. Amen? Amen. We don't need to be afraid anymore shows that we've been made, not made, we've been made perfect in Him. And again, there's maturity in our love when we cease to be afraid. Again, do we have times when we're fearful? What's the answer? Of course. But in the midst of that, our prayer should be to be reminded of who we are in Christ. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Last verse, we love Him because He first loved us. So we can take no credit for our salvation. Amen? Amen. Now, do we have a choice? What's the answer? Can we reject him? What's the answer? Can we reach out and receive him? What's the answer? But even if we do, we're not saved because of the good works we did. We're saved because of the cross of Calvary and he gets all the praise. Amen. So he first loved you. He first loved you. And again, all that stuff you've never told anybody, even your spouse that you're ashamed of, he knows, loves you anyway. Amen. Every wicked, vile thing you've ever done or thought, he knows, he loves you anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he came to redeem sinners like us, to restore us into intimate fellowship with him, and we love him because he first loved us. Again, because there is a response word. We didn't initiate, we didn't earn it, we responded to it. He loves us again while we were yet sinners. This is a fact for every true follower of Christ. There's no exception to this rule. If man loves, does not love God, neither is he born of God. If you don't love God, you don't know God. If you can't say boldly that I love the Lord, if you're not, if you're ashamed to speak those words, I'm concerned about your eternity. Amen. I can't imagine a true man of God saying, I love Christ, but I don't want to love others, or I don't want anybody else to know that I love him. I just kind of keep it to myself. I keep my religion to my, my faith is a personal thing. Show me a Bible verse for that. No one in the Bible says, you've been born again, now go hide in a cave and keep it to yourself. Nowhere does it say that. It says, go therefore into all the world and what? Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Again, it's the most selfish thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves. Your faith should not be anything that's personal. Your faith should be something that is universal because we want to see everyone else saved. We should be unashamed of the gospel and we should proclaim it boldly without fear. Amen? Now, be loving, be kind, be gracious, don't be a jerk. Amen? Don't be that self-righteous guy. Don't look down on people. We're all just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. May we not deny him with our lips or in our actions. Amen? we we'll close with this, and we'll go to time of communion. I had, a, I had a coworker. I've shared this a few times. I had a coworker in San Jose years ago. And we had an art department. Most of you guys know I sell advertising. The art department would create the ads. And, and, and we had a Bible study at work. And a lot of people were getting saved. And they started calling us the God Squad and all this kind of stuff. And one of the, I was over there getting some artwork done. And one of the artists said, hey, I think I'm about coming to your Bible study. I said, that'd be great. We'd love to have you. And then the guy next to me, who was known for being a philandering drunkard, foul mouth. His life was a disaster. He was cheating on his wife openly with women in the office. He was, they called him Martini because he'd go to lunch for three hours and come back drunk. And they said to him, he said, oh yeah, uh, I'm a Christian too. And literally all six of the artists got out of their cubicles and fell on the ground laughing. Now, as Christians, that's not the response you want when you tell people that you're saved. And here's the reality. He could be saved and I'm not picking on him. But the point is, They shall know us by the love we have one for another, and by your fruit they shall know you. So as believers, they should see someone who's loving and someone who has the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's evident in their life. Amen? We should be different than the world. So in closing, the fruit of abiding love, and then we'll go to time of communion. The fruit of abiding love, it allows the lost world to see God in us It produces evidence of our transformed life. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The boldness to confess that Jesus is Lord. We're abiding in love. And it removes our fear and replaces it with boldness. So now we're going to go to a time of communion. uh, The Lord's table. You guys can go ahead and go get the elements. So well, let me say this about communion. Communion is something that is for believers. So if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've been born again. This is something that the Lord says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It was the night before Jesus was to be crucified. They were having the Passover Seder, looking back to when they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt that was always pointing to the cross of Calvary. And when at Passover, what did they do? They took the blood of a lamb and the shape of a cross and the angel of death would pass over. They would examine the lamb for four days. They would slit its throat. They would take its blood and they would see it because they would get affectionate and start to love the lamb and the lamb would have to die for them. And it was always a picture of Jesus. So as they were celebrating the Passover, Jesus tells them, you know, First, the, body, the, the bread that they, they left in haste, it was striped and it was pierced with no leaven. He tells them, this is my body that was broken for you. And then he says, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for many for remission of sins. See, all the sacrifices for thousands of years were always pointing to Jesus and he fulfilled it at the cross of Calvary. So every time we take communion, we're remembering the greatest act of love in all of human history. We no longer celebrate, you know, uh, the children of Israel being delivered out of bondage in Egypt. Now we look to the cross of Calvary. And again, the greatest act of love in all of human history. So as we take it, I always encourage you to do three things. First, look back. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Look back to the cross of Calvary and remember all that Jesus has done for you. Thank him for it. Look within. Be there any wicked way in us, maybe this is a time of repentance. Maybe there's something in your life and you just need to get right with the Lord. I want to encourage you, while you're holding the elements before we take it, look back to the cross, but examine your own heart before God. Lord, please forgive me in this area of my life. Lord, help me to walk in the center of your will. Lord, help me to overcome this, this struggle in my life. Lord, help me. But not only do we look back and we look, within, but we also look ahead because Jesus told them, the next time you take this with me, you'll take it with me in heaven. So a couple of things that we know for sure we're going to do in heaven. We're going to worship and we're going to have communion. Amen? Because the Bible says so. So the guys are going to bring the elements. Just hold on to them. I'll come back up here and we'll take them together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you as we go now to this time of communion. May this be a time of worship. May be a time of reverence as we look back to the cross, remember the greatest act of love, as we look within and examine our own hearts before you, as we longingly look forward to heaven when we will be there one day. Lord, we can't wait to see you face to face. And so, Lord, I just pray, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation so they, too, can take communion with us. The Bible says "If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Bible says, if you confess to me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you've never given your life to the Lord, I want to give you a chance to do that right now, and then you can join us in communion. So if you're here today, and, you've, and either you may have grown up in the church, you may know about God, but you have not fully surrendered your life to the Lord. And you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven, but you're also ready to surrender your life, not just make Him Savior, but the Lord of your life. If that's your desire, I just want to raise your hand right where you are, and I'll pray with you. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Lord, for those that raised their hands, you can just pray with me uh, silently or out loud and just pray the simple prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross and he rose again. Lord, forgive me. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to surrender my life fully to you. I want you to not just be my Savior, but be my Lord. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen.